Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, as we continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew, Lord, we ask that your spirit would guide us this day. Lord, may you lead us through your word. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand um, the context of the story, uh, what happened, what the accusations were against Jesus, uh, what the problem with the accusations uh, were. And and Lord, I pray that you would show us um, how this passage applies to us today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand uh, the Sabbath idea, um, Lord, that you would guard us from legalism, and Lord, help us to walk faithfully with you all the days of our life. Uh, we do love you, uh, we, we praise you, and we come to your word, Lord, eager to learn from you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick grains, pick heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry and he and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat or for those with him, but for the priest alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you'd known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse him? And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable, then, is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We, um, Lord, ask that you would guide us through this passage. Lord, help us. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so the, the verse here, uh, it says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, uh, immediately preceding this this verse, we see that Jesus, uh, they had gotten back from the, dis the disciples, had, had gone out two by two to preach the kingdom of God, to, to perform miracles. They were restricted to the area of the Galilee region. They were forbidden from going to the Samaritans or the Gentiles. Um, by the time they come back, Jesus uh, gives this sort of this warning, or it's believed that they had returned. And Jesus, last week we saw that he gave this, uh, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, uh, Capernaum, these three cities in which all of the miracles occurred. 
Um, they had front row seats to the miracles, to the message of Christ and the disciples, and yet they didn't respond in repentance. Uh, Jesus gives warning, and then by the end of the warning, he gives this warm invitation in verse 28, which says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so here he says, come to me, uh, take my yoke upon you. Uh, The yoke was uh, the teaching of the various rabbis. Uh, Their commentary on the law would be referred to as the yoke. And so Jesus, in responding to all of um, the, the yoke of the other teachers, they'd taken the word of God, they'd placed all sorts of rules and regulations in addition to the scriptures, and they'd placed it upon really the necks of, of the people who were following. They were broken, they were heavy laden, they couldn't do all of the requirements. And so he invites people to come to him, to find rest in him. And our story today transitions in these 14 verses. I think it's connected. The Sabbath shows up eight times in today's passage. Um, This picture, this beautiful gift of rest that God has given to his people, sort of standing in contrast with what the, the religious leaders had turned it into. And so we read, at that time, he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Uh, We need to pause and ask the question, what is the Sabbath? In general terms, we would say the Sabbath is Saturdays. It's the the Hebrew word for Saturday. Uh, We would be close. Uh, The the Sabbath actually begins on sundown Friday night, and it goes through uh, sundown Saturday evening. The, The reason for the order of the Sabbath is it follows the biblical model. If we were to go back to the first three chapters of Genesis, we would see that uh, during creation, it was evening, then morning, day one. It was evening, then morning, day two. And so God sort of set up the days to go from sun, from dark to light. That's a day. And so the Sabbath starts at the evening on Friday. The Sabbath really is a simple instruction. If you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse, I think it's a verse 11. It's right in my notes here, verse 8. So Exodus chapter 20, verses... We're going to look at 8 through 11, but in this section, it's what's referred to as the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath is the fourth commandment, and this is what it says, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, Holy simply means to set it apart. Uh, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He set it apart, distinct from the other days. Um, we could continue. I'm going to. I'm not, not going to read it this time. I read it last service. Uh, but Leviticus chapter 25, the first seven verses. There's another Sabbath. That the instruction is essentially the same, except it's a Sabbath year. So every seventh year, uh, the, no work was to be done. The the grapes and the wheat fields were just to be left alone, so that the people could rest, the land could rest, the animals uh, could rest. Really, in the Old Testament, you can go back to Matthew, there's not a lot of 
additional information about the Sabbath. It really is a simple, beautiful uh, gift of God to the people. He says, you work for six days. In creation, it took me six days to create, it every, create everything. On the seventh, I didn't do anything. And that's the example. His people are to work six days, take the seventh day off, no work. The purpose is simply to be a blessing to the people. It's a time of restoration. It's a time set apart to, to worship God. But the text is so simple. Don't work on this day. Set it apart for the Lord. Um, this would have been a revolutionary concept. In the ancient world during this time, uh, people didn't take days off. They had um, their, their holy days or their holidays, days that would be set apart. But the concept of not working once every seven days was radical. For the Jews, it would have been an even, uh, even more exceptionally radical idea because in the context of Exodus, what are they exiting from? They were slaves in Egypt for many, many years, and slaves don't get days off. And so they worked day in, day out, nonstop. And then God tells them as they enter the land that once a week, you're to take a day off. You're not to do anything, not your children, not your, your servants that are with you, not your animals. Have a day of blessing, rest, restoration. Beautiful, beautiful thing. It's simple. We have that saying uh, to make a mountain out of a molehill. The Sabbath in the Old Testament really is a molehill. It's, it's just this little speed bump. The, the, the fourth commandment on the seventh day, don't do anything, set it apart. But it had become a mountain under uh, a Jewish law. Um, well, we'll continue. I'll get into that. So here it is. It's the Sabbath. Eight times in today's section, we're going to be told that it's the Sabbath. Jesus is walking through the grain fields, and his disciples became hungry, and they began to pick the heads of grain to eat. And so here they are, they're walking, they've been doing ministry. Um, I don't know if they're, they're walking through the grain fields on a Saturday because they have um, no place to lay their heads. I, we don't know. They're... They're walking through there. Their stomachs start grumbling. They see that they're in a grain field, and so they pick a couple heads of grain off of, uh, you know, off of the, the what is it? I, I, I messed up during the animals last time, so I want to be really careful. It, grain. So they, they pull off the head. They would crush it in their hand. They would blow the excess, and then they would eat the grains. A, a little snack, like a, taking a handful of chips. Um, this was totally legal for them to do. Uh, exit or Deuteronomy 23, 25 said, uh, gave the instruction that if you're passing through somebody's either their grape fields or their wheat or their, their grain fields, you were allowed to take some. You were allowed to eat your fill. You were allowed to, to eat till you were content. Where it would become illegal is if you uh, pulled out your, your shears and you started harvesting and then you hauled it off of their property. Um, I know in Valley Center, this is where I, I didn't know that this was still a problem until I moved to Valley Center. But if you start jogging through or driving, however you want to transport yourself through the, the various groves around here, you'll stumble across signs um, uh, in front of the, a lot of avocado groves. I've seen it. That's big signs, stealing avocados. I don't think it says it's a sin. It says it's illegal. It's very clear 
that you cannot take somebody's fruit from their orchard. Like we have orange groves right over here. And I think, oh man, how nice would it be just to go grab an orange and eat the orange? I've never done it. I, mo- I remember when I first moved to Valley Center and it was Rick Restivo and somebody had come to Rick and said, you know what? There's this empty lot of avocados. Nobody seems to live there. Is it okay for me just to take a handful? And he got real serious. He's like, no, you do not take other people's fruit from their, um, from their orchards. That's stealing and it's a big, big deal unless you have permission from them. But during this time, the law instructed the farmers or the people who had grapes and wheat and, and crops on their land, even when they harvested, they were supposed to leave the edges for, for the widows through the people passing through, um, sort of a hospitality that they could uh, get some, uh, something to eat, uh, some sustenance as they were on their way. And so here's, they're doing this. They're, they're not stealing. It's a Saturday um, all is well biblically. They have not committed any sin. They violated uh, no Old Testament law. But in verse 2, it's almost as if the Pharisees jump out of the woodwork. I don't know if there was a crowd following them and they happened to be in the crowd, or I get the feeling going through the Gospels that the Pharisees worked uh, very hard following Jesus, very hard to see that he would make some mistake that they could condemn him. Uh, it, it is a, the, the irony is heavy here that they're about to condemn Jesus for his practices on the Sabbath, all the while they're working hard to find a reason. It seemed like they should be at their houses uh, watching football or doing something relaxing instead of working to try to condemn Jesus on the Sabbath. And so they jump out, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And so what what law did they violate? We already went back to Exodus chapter 20. We see that the law simply said that on the seventh day you're to do no work. On the seventh day, you're to rest. Your whole family's to rest. Your animals are to rest. Your employees are to rest. We know that taking a handful of of grain from the law was totally permissible. But what had happened along the way to this, this, not even a holiday, this routine of taking a day off, this day that was designed by God to give his people a day of rest, a day set apart, Uh, to worship him, um, to be restored, really is a beautiful gift if you think about it, that God is the inventor of the weekend, that he wanted us to enjoy some rest. What had happened is during this this period, it's it's speculated uh, that as they went along, some guy who likes doing something that could be construed as work, you know, went to a rabbi and said, hey, rabbi, I, you know, I, I really like doing auto repair. And my car needs, my my car, I need to change out the brakes in my car. And, you know, it's viewed as work by some people, but I I love doing this. So is it okay for me to change my brakes on a Saturday? Rabbi, maybe got a group of them said, that's a good question. Are you allowed to change your brakes on a Saturday? Or is that, I mean, if you're a mechanic and you do the work, that's working. But if you're doing it as a hobby... Like, I don't understand the guys that have the, the, you know, the greasy elbows that like, you know, the the, the monkey wrench type guys. Like, that's not restful to me. It's stressful. But some people, like, love it. Like, it's relaxing. And they didn't have cars. They didn't have brakes back then. I'm just kind of putting modern day. 
But eventually the rabbis probably got together and said, no, no, that's, that's work. You shouldn't, we shouldn't do no change in breaks. And then, you know, eventually over time, this, this long list of things that you could do or not do on the Sabbath uh, it came to bear to where it's really, it's, it's out of control. It's silly. This day that God gave to be a blessing to his people has turned into this day where people are afraid to do anything for the religious leaders to jump down their backs uh, going to Israel for the first time was fascinating. I mean, I've mentioned this, the, the idea of the Sabbath elevator. Like, what in the world is this? This is the most inconvenient thing. You mean to tell me that all day long, from Friday night to Saturday afternoon, this elevator just simply goes up one floor, up the next floor, up the next floor, and then back down all day long. You're not allowed to turn on a light switch in your hotel because that's construed as work. This was backbreaking for the people. This day of blessing had been turned into a day of burden. Um, and, and so what they're accusing Jesus of, they're saying that your guys are working because they're walking along and they're taking one of the grain heads off that was work, you're harvesting, by then crushing it, blowing the shaft away, you're now entering into the the threshing mode of work, and then you ate it. So they'd said you're breaking sort of, you're working by doing this because you're actually harvesting a crop. And it's so ridiculous. They're so missing the point of the Sabbath. And this is sort of religion, legalism, when you construe all of these rules and regulations And you say, if you want to walk with God, if you want to do the right things, then you have to do all of these things. You have to educate your children this way. You're allowed to listen to these radio stations, or you're not allowed to listen to these radio stations. You have to read out of this translation or not read out of this translation. People are great at coming up with all sorts of rules that aren't in the scriptures. And then start judging and condemning and and breaking people's backs with these rules. And this is what the Pharisees had done to this beautiful gift of God, the Sabbath. I'm saying this over and over again. God intended for us to be restored, to take a day off for rest of worship, that it would be a blessing to us. And they jump out of the bushes and they say, you're breaking the law. Now, Jesus is going to respond In this first section, verses uh, 1 through 8, it's sort of the Sabbath part 1. And then we have the Sabbath part 2. I believe this is on the same day. And so Jesus turns and he responds to them. And he says in verse 3, He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and how they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. He said, guys, back in 1 Samuel chapter 21, there's a story there. Aren't you guys familiar with this story? Uh, if you were to go back to that story, we'd know that David is now on the run from, for his life. Um, as he departed, he and his men sort of are, are fleeing out in the countryside. Um, Saul is going crazier and crazier, trying to hunt down David and to kill him. And so they go into the, the, the place of worship. Uh, the priest Ahimelech was there. And David walks in by himself and he says, you know what? I'm on this mission. 
and I'm hungry and my men are hungry. Is there any food that you can offer us to sustain us? And Helamech says, no, there's, there's not any. I have no food. The only food that I have is this bread that's been consecrated. And it's not, nobody's allowed to eat it except for the priest. Now, this bread is once a week on the Sabbath. They believe that the story of David eating the consecrated bread happened on a Sabbath. Uh, because on the Sabbath, it would happen in the holiest place, in the presence of the Lord. Um, they would put a fresh loaf of bread every Saturday. When they put the fresh loaf of bread, they would pull out the old loaf of bread. And that was the old loaf of bread that was sort of on the table for David to eat. And as David goes back and forth with Ahimelech, Ahimelech starts going, well, are you, are you here serving God? Are you, what's the deal? And David says, yeah, we're, we're good. We're, um, and then he says, the priest says, well, have all your men been free of being with women? Are they, are they, are they pure? And David says, yes, all my men are pure. None of us are defiled. And the priest says, okay, then you and your men can eat this, this, this consecrated bread. And so they ate the bread. They were satisfied. They go on their way. And, and Jesus brings up the story. He says, haven't you heard the story? This was according to the law, according to the temple, or not, it wasn't the temple, but according to the practices, this, was, this bread should not have been consumed by David. In all of the scripture, we see that David has many, many sins. David has done a bunch of stuff wrong. Nobody ever claimed that David was, was sinless. But in this one instance with the bread, nowhere is he condemned for eating this consecrated bread that, that by all rules, he shouldn't have ate, eaten this bread. So Jesus says, Didn't you, don't you, aren't you aware of this story? David ate the consecrated bread on the Sabbath and nobody held it against him. And then he moves on and he says to them in verse five, or have you not read in the law or have you not, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are, and are innocent. That word break, it literally could be translated profane or desecrate. Let me see, is there any uh, more to read there? <clears throat> okay, or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple uh, desecrate, profane, break the Sabbath and are innocent? Um, so, so he says every single Sabbath, the priest work and work and work. The temple was huge. Um, in order to make the sacrifices, they had to maintain this huge fire. I don't know how big, maybe as big as this room, maybe not as big as this room, but, but the temple was huge. And they had a fire that was burning nonstop. And to keep a burning fire nonstop means that you have to keep sort of wood or whatever fuel you're using to burn the fire going nonstop. That These priests are working to maintain the fire. The priests are also having the animals brought to them. They're having to slaughter the animals and then to place the animals on on the on the altar to be sacrificed. This is hard physical labor. And Jesus says the priest every single Saturday desecrate the Sabbath. And yet you, you, you hold them guiltless. He says, but I say to you something greater than the temple is here. And I think that Jesus is sort of pointing them to him. He's saying, you guys worship the temple. You're literally worshiping this building. And yet Jesus, the Messiah, is now on scene with him. Something greater than the temple is in their very, very midst. And as he's teaching, as he's demonstrating who he, who he is, as he authenticates his deity to them, 
They're more concerned with petty little things like these guys taking a handful of, the equivalent of taking a handful of potato chips and eating some potato chips on a Saturday than they are with seeing the big picture. And Jesus, the third thing he's going to do as he, he goes from David to the, the priest in the temple to now he's going to quote from Hosea, uh, chapter 6, verse 6. He's saying, but if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. And in quoting Hosea 6.6, what Jesus is saying is you've missed the whole spirit of the law. You've missed the whole purpose. You're so wound up in your, your religion and your regulations and you've codified it, making it as equal to the word of God that you've missed the bigger picture of what God is trying to accomplish. And his whole purpose of the Sabbath, this wonderful gift of a day off every seven days that's supposed to be a blessing to you. It's supposed to be a time of refreshment and restoration for the people of God. You've turned it into this back-breaking system that does none of what God intended to do for the people. Uh, when I first sort of started hanging out with cops and going on ride-alongs, I realized that I was disappointed very early on. I sort of... Um, I don't know if you guys noticed about the state of California that there's a handful of laws. I mean, I can count all of them. I mean, I, <laughs> to say I could count all the laws in California on my hands is like, well, that would be a joke. Um, like if I was counting by like the, the, you know, thousands maybe. I don't know how many, like 10,000 laws in California. That's a good Google question. I'll do that later. But there are tons of laws. And so I start my first ride along. I'm thinking it's going to be like cops that we're going to just go chasing down bad guys. And every time I've been cut off, I'm thinking like we're going to be issuing tickets. When I'm doing a ride alongs, I want there to be like no mercy on like the, the person. When I'm the guy getting pulled over, I'm pleading for like, I always drive perfect. You just caught me the one time I forget to use my blinker or I speed a little bit or, but I was there like thinking, Oh man, this is going to be, we're going to go through, we're going to be issuing tickets. Like let's get some justice. And then the longer I start doing these ride alongs, the reality is, is like law enforcement officers are so gracious. Like they'll pull over people or they'll come onto a scene where you think that there's some big crime where I think it's like, dude, slap some cuffs on this guy. But then they start talking and they get to like, what's really going on? And maybe there's a little speech and then we move on. And, and I remember talking to one officer after like, after a, a, a num like we'd gone on too far with grace. I'm like, what's the deal here? Why aren't you kicking people out of people's houses and, and slapping handcuffs and giving more tickets? And they're like, we, we, we're told to use discretion. That, that California, I guess, is a, is a, when a police officer goes through the academy, they're taught that California is a spirit of the law state. And so the police officer has, when they come up across the scene, they have their discretion that they can evaluate the whole situation and they, they can apply the law based on the spirit of the law. In, in certain circumstances. And so I've been blown away uh, over the last few years just coming to know law enforcement and, and being on the street on these ride-alongs to really see how much grace is given on the streets and how much, um, like to me, it's like, well, by the time a guy ends up in court, that means that there was so much sort of settled on the street, not justice, but there's like a, a mini court trial on the street before anybody's issued a citation. 
And, and I think that this, the idea is that the spirit of the law, that they look at the bigger picture of, of, of what's, what's going on and, and did this person sort of intent, intentionally uh, break the laws that were given. And my reason for bringing this up is I think Jesus is trying to show the Pharisees that God and his law and his commands is really more of a, a spirit of the law sort of God. Um, he says to them, you know, you have all of these rules. And we're verse 7. And he says, but if you had known what this means, and he quotes from Hosea 6.6, 6, so you guys are the Pharisees, you're the religious leaders, you, you should know the heart of God. And he quotes that I desire compassion or, or mercies, it, it could be translated, and not a sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. And he's saying to the disciples that are eating a handful of grain on the Sabbath, if they'd known the heart of God, that they made all these rules saying that what these guys are doing is doing work on the Sabbath, they'd miss the whole point. That what God desired was, was mercy and compassion and, and the whole idea of the Sabbath was missed by these guys. And then he says, verse 8, which is powerful. He says, for the Son of Man, referring to himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. What, what he's saying here is that when, when the law was spoken to Moses... He's saying, I was the one speaking the law to Moses. I am the author of the law. Jesus is showing his deity to them, uh, meaning that he's showing to them that he is God, that he is the author. He's the one behind the law that they were enforcing. We don't get their reaction. We know they're mad. This whole story is going to end up with them plotting Jesus' murder. And so the story transitions. I, I, I... I wish Matthew would have given us more between verse 8 and verse 9 because we don't see their reaction. We don't see how they respond to this. The next thing we see is departing from there, he went into their synagogue. We don't know which synagogue this is. We, all we know is it's there and the, their synagogue, it's, it's believed that this is the Pharisee synagogue. So maybe it's, it's the Sabbath. They're eating. They're walking along the field. The Pharisees jump out and say, aha, Jesus talks to them. I, maybe they're still walking. And it says, well, they departed from there. But they, where they walk to is like they end up at the synagogue. It's the place of worship. So here are these Pharisees accusing Jesus. They're now, Jesus is welcomed into their place of worship. A little tongue-in-cheek. I don't know how welcomed he was. They're trying to set Jesus up for a trap. We'll see that this whole, um, at the end of verse 10, you see that this whole situation that's developing is they're placing everything together so that they might accuse Jesus. They're looking for a way to have him arrested. And so they walk into the synagogue, verse 9, and we learn that a man was there whose hand was withered. So this withered literally means that the hand was dried out, that, that, that he'd um, lost all functionality in the hand. Um, I always imagine when I hear about something happening to somebody's hand, I always imagine the right hand because I'm left-handed. Um, but so the hand is there. When I've seen this, it's the, the, the hand seems to kind of clinch itself, and they can't open it. They can't move it. And so here's this guy. We don't know how long it's been this way, but I'm guessing it's been this way for a long time. He has 
work, he has operation of one hand. He doesn't have the ability to control his other hand. It, it seems that the Pharisees either knew this guy would be there. Maybe they, they, they set him up to be there. Um, they don't necessarily care about the guy. Their heart is they want to trap Jesus. We know it's a Saturday. They've turned this day of rest and they've, they've turned it into a whole bunch of do's and don'ts and how you're supposed to go about everything. They've completely missed the heart of the Sabbath. And they question Jesus asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse him? They're so wrapped up in their, their, their man-made sort of way of, of obeying the Sabbath that they'd missed the bigger picture. And I imagine, I've, I, I, honestly, I've never lived under sort of extreme legalism to, you know, um, when I was in the Catholic Church, there's probably some legalism, but I wasn't really caring enough to like try to actually obey the rules. But people who I've met and known who genuinely love God that found themselves in a system where, where it's so controlled um, by, by man-made rules, it's it's backbreaking for some, and then on others, it's just kind of like foolishness. Like I've uh, from Anna, who grew up under this sort of system, to to hear about kids and certain things that they weren't allowed to go to a movies to see a certain movie, which may or may not be okay. But then when the movie came out on DVD, well, it probably wasn't DVD. It was probably something else that they were allowed to watch it at home, that it was fine to watch it at home, but you couldn't go to the theaters because if you're going out into the theaters, you're the, you have the appearance of evil. So you could sort of navigate the rules to make everybody happy, but you're missing the bigger picture of what God intended. I heard of a Jewish man once apparently um, in, I don't know what law it is, uh, but there's rules on the Sabbath for how far you can travel. And now there's an exception in the rules that if there's a body of water involved, that you can extend your distance of travel. And I think that the heart of this is if maybe your house is on the edge of a lake, but you got to go to the other side of the lake to get to the synagogue, you can, and it's more than a mile, they've come up with this rule that if there's a body of water under you, you can exceed the limit. So what the guy did is he took a water bottle, he placed it underneath the driver's seat of his car, and he would go wherever he wanted on the Sabbath because he had a body of water under him. And it sounds hilarious... To see this, but if you take it sincerely, like the, if, or if you, I don't know, if you observe it, sort of with the idea of like you think God is fooled by the little games you're playing, and so here the Pharisees aren't even questioning whether Jesus can do a miracle. They assume they know he can do a miracle. They know he has the ability, the willingness, the compassion to actually heal this guy with a withered hand. And yet they're trying to trip him up over some rules that they've created in their heads. And it's hilarious. Like, guys, you're challenging this man, Jesus, about whether it's okay to do a healing on the Sabbath, knowing that he can. Don't you think maybe you should humble yourself before him and ask him for some instructions instead of trying to get him in trouble? Because we could have somebody that has a, a cripple here. You could come to me all day long, and I can't. I do not have the ability to heal somebody. And yet, Jesus, they know he can heal this guy, and they're trying to trip him up over their rules. And so Jesus responds to them in verse 11, and he sort of says, well, what he says is, and he said to them, what man among you, 
who has had a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? He's like, hey, brothers, we're all, we're all Israelites here. Many of us are shepherds. We've all uh, cared for sheep. Which one of us on a Saturday, on the Sabbath, our, our little sheep falls into a hole? Like, every one of us would pull the sheep out. Uh, I got in trouble during the last service because I, I tried to impersonate a sheep. Apparently, my impersonation was done well, but I used the wrong phrase. I said, what if your little sheep was baying, saying, help me, but I guess it's called bleeding. So if the sheep is bleating, help, help me, I fell in a hole. And if you don't, like, if you don't get me out of this hole, I'm going to die. A wolf is going to come in to eat me. And Jesus is asking this question. It's, it's rhetorical. He knows that all of them would say, absolutely, the, your sheep are your welfare. It's, it's, your, it's everything. And so if a sheep falls in a hole, that's like life or death. To pull out a sheep from the pit so that its life is spared on the Sabbath isn't breaking the Sabbath. And then he says in verse 12, how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? It reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount or just, no, just recently in chapter 10 when Jesus says not, not a sparrow falls to the ground without God being aware, but how much more does God care for you? So Jesus says, this is a human, he's not even speaking to man, just in general terms. If a human being is in trouble for you to help the human being, that's not violating the Sabbath. You would do the same thing for a sheep. And so then he looks at the man and he asks the man to do something that the man physically can't do. He said to him, the man, stretch out your hand. So this man doesn't have the ability to stretch out his hand, yet Jesus says to him, go ahead, just stretch out your hand. And as he stretched out his hand, a miracle happens. This man's hand is healed. He stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. I imagine that this is the most amazing day in this man's life. He had a hand that was totally unusable. He had to navigate his whole life with one hand. When I, in the times when I hurt like a little piece of my body and it's temporary, like if you, I don't know, I've done something in my hand where I suddenly you realize like, man, I really used that hand a ton. Who knew a pinky was so important? Now this guy has use of both hands. I imagine he's praising God, just thankful and ecstatic. Jesus answered in a way that he trumped them. He showed them that he's Lord over all. That he's not going to trip them up on the rules of the Sabbath because in God's plan and God's design, the Sabbath was simply meant to be a blessing to the people. And yet they turned it into Sabbath was probably the hardest day of the week to maintain all of the rules and regulations. The exact opposite of what God had designed. And look at their reaction. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as how they might destroy him. So apparently it's a big deal to, to have a snack on the road from a grain field. Apparently it's a big deal to heal a guy on the Sabbath, but it's totally okay under their rules to plot murder. The, the irony is thick here. And I think that this is what religion and, and legalism can do to an individual, that they totally miss the bigger picture 
of what God has intended. And so when I look at this passage, I think there's obviously there's this uh, chapter 12 in large part is about the rejection of Christ as the Messiah. But in the midst of this picture, we have this, this dealing of the Sabbath. The greatest lesson, like one of them that's sort of been, it doesn't sound that mind-blowing when I say it, but it really is a beautiful thing that, that we serve the Lord of the Sabbath, that our God created the weekend. Our God gave us a day to rest each week to be a blessing to us, a day that we can be uh, restored, that we can rejuvenate, that we can worship him, that we can have time with our families. It's, it's, it's beautiful. We, we should be known as a restful people. Uh, ancient Israel, I think because of the Sabbath, they stood out to the, to the world. There's the, on the one concept, there's the day off every week, which is a big deal. The day off was unheard of back then. But can you imagine the seventh, the seventh year, on the seventh year when they didn't work, nobody did anything, and people would pass through Israel like, what's going on? Your, your grapes look overgrown. Your wheat fields are out of control. What are you doing? It's like, well, we serve a God that wants to give us some rest. And this whole idea of honoring a restful day, like we're worshiping on a Sunday. It's not the Sabbath. Um, there's freedom to worship. It's Romans 14.5 that basically says that we, uh, this, this great book of Romans dealing with the Jews and the Gentiles coming together in Christ and Romans 14.5 basically says that we, we don't regard one day more than the other. If a person wants to worship on Sunday, which the church does because that's the day uh, that's believed that the Lord rose on the first day of the week, or if a person wants to worship on the Saturday, there, there's freedom in that. And we're just told that whatever you do, you're supposed to do unto the Lord and, and wholeheartedly. But we're to physically rest one day a week, I believe, is the command of God. We're also to rest inwardly. And I think there's another dynamic as we go into the New Testament. The Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. It's not really uh, repeated. Uh, for further story, we study, we don't have time today, but on your own, if you wanted to study and read Hebrews 4, within Hebrews 4, we learn that Christ becomes our Sabbath, that for those who are in Christ, our rest comes from him, um, sort of spiritually within. That's where we find our peace. And I believe that this whole idea of rest is an area that, that Satan wants to, to work to destroy. We get so wrapped up in the busyness of life that we don't slow down. Um, we're always going. We think that what we're doing is so, so important. And if we, if we stop for a day, then we're going to get so far behind. And I'm preaching to myself right now. This whole idea of stopping for a day and resting is not something that comes easily to me. But the simple beauty that God has given us a day once a week so that we could be rested, restored, and refreshed is just a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Father, I thank you first and foremost for the rest that's found in Christ. Father, I thank you that as we were enemies of yours prior to salvation, Lord, that you made a way for us to find peace with you. We thank you for Christ who uh, bore our wrath, who took the weight um, that was due us. Father, we pray that you would help us to rest spiritually in him, 
Father, I pray that you would help us to guard ourselves from following in uh, to the trap of legalism, where we add to your word, where we create a, a long list of do's and don'ts that we think is making you happier. Father, I pray that you would help us just to rest in grace. Father, help us to be diligent and disciplined about uh, taking a, a physical day of rest once a week. Father, we thank you that you are just such a kind and gracious God. It's, a, it's an awesome thing that you would um, give us this sort of rest, that you would desire to bless us in this way. Father, I pray that you would help us to have a greater understanding of the Sabbath, that you would give us a greater understanding of Christ as our Sabbath. We are thankful, Lord, that in you um, we can find rest and hope. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.